Robots Radio. Games. Lore. Stories. Community. Just press play. Welcome to the Fallout Lorecast. The podcast that explores the boundaries of our knowledge about the world of Fallout. So I've been tinkering with my uh, my pit boy here. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Oh, uh, huh? Just turned off. Um, well, so uh, yeah, so that's what this episode's about. This is the uh, pit boy episode. It's funny. I'm almost two hundred episodes in at this point, and I realized that I hadn't done an episode yet on the Pip-Boy. Amazing, right? Can you can you imagine that? Almost 200 episodes in, and I haven't done an episode on the Pip-Boy. What am I even thinking? How do you even do a Fallout podcast and not talk about a Pip-Boy f- for almost 200 episodes? Also, this is episode 192. Welcome, everybody. This is Tom, or Robots. If you're new, welcome. Uh, you're joining in. 192 episodes in most people go back and listen from the beginning, but hey, maybe you're checking out this episode first this is Eight episodes away from 200. I'm gonna have to come up with some sort of plan for some sort of big 200 episode celebration I'm if you have some ideas about this. Let me know What we should do special. I Guess I should have started planning already because that's I mean Really? That's what, two months away? Man, okay. But anyway, welcome back to the show. This is this is all about the Pip-Boy, everybody's favorite device that you put on your arm, and it, it does all sorts of things. So let's get into it. So there, there's the in-world explanation about the Pip-Boy, and that's mostly what this podcast episode is going to be about. But then there's the meta reasoning for the Pip-Boy, and, and that's where I'm going to start. Usually, you know how this goes. We talk about the in-world lore and how this stuff works in the game and in the universe of Fallout and all that stuff. But the Pip-Boy is actually interesting for a lot of reasons that have to do with game development and the uh, the designing of how things actually work in a video game, especially when you go back to... 25 years holy crap to the (laughs) to the creation of fallout 1 you see we go back to the late 90s and especially pc games you have to remember fallout 1 was a pc game and in pc games in role-playing games you had menus it wasn't uncommon that you would of course pause the game this was a turn-based game too you have to remember that as well so you would be in a situation There was not like a ticking time bomb going on. Well, that's not the best description, but, you know, things weren't in real time. It's not like you came across a bunch of rad roaches and they were going to chew your face off because everything was happening in real time. And of course, as we move on in the games, let's talk like Fallout 3, New Vegas. You could always switch over to your Pip-Boy or pause it if you needed to. But there was still that feeling of things were happening in real time. If you came across something in the world and it attacked you, it just attacked you. It's not like you saw it in the distance and you had to move in turns. 
the original games, if you never played them, were turn-based. Like moving on a grid, your character would move and then your enemy or the NPC or whatever would take its turn and then it would move. So there wasn't this real need for expedience and, and stress in that kind of thing. And in those kinds of games, there's a lot of other stuff going on in the background. You've got the calculation of how much damage you're going to do and how much health you have and all of those kinds of things. And usually that stuff is done on these other screens, either around the sides of the screen or in some sort of other interface. You pause the screen, it goes into another interface, it shows your character, it shows like your head and your arms and the things you're carrying in your bag and all of that kind of stuff. All the stuff that we're familiar with from role-playing games today. But you have to go back 25 years and think about the way these games were traditionally designed back then. And when we're going back to the end of the 90s, we're talking about games like Baldur's Gate and Torment and um, man, I'm trying to come up with some of these other games, uh, the original Diablo series, like these kinds of games and the interfaces for when you were looking at your character and the information about your character were just that they were just interfaces. They were designed with with the aesthetic of the game in mind, but the interface itself wasn't necessarily something that was designed with the meta concept of the world in mind. And this is one of the first things that the original Fallout games 1 and 2 did that diverged so much from the other role-playing games is that when you quote-unquote, paused the game to check your Pip-Boy, you were acting as if you were the character looking at your electronic device itself. You were still role-playing as your character to check your information, so you were never leaving the perspective of your character. So, to put this in another way, if you were playing Diablo, you were running through a dungeon, you were fighting some enemies, and if you decided that you needed to check your information, like what items you were carrying, how much damage you were doing, what items you wanted to equip, how much health you had, you would pause the game and you would look at another screen and see that information. But the effect of that is that you were being pulled out of playing your character and you are now in the mind space of the player looking at meta information in a screen that your character never would see. You're no longer seeing through the eyes of your character, even though it's a third person perspective and you're looking down on the world. You, like, forget all of that for a moment. In Fallout, you are continuing to look through the eyes of your character simply because you're looking at the Pip-Boy that your character theoretically would be carrying on their wrist. And it's not super clear. The original Pip-Boy, the Pip-Boy 2000, is aesthetically limited by the technology of the time. And we're talking about the technology, again, meta-technology, the technology of the 1990s in our world in designing a video game. Later on, you get Fallout 3, New Vegas, and it's a lot more clear to be able to show an arm moving up you know, the 3D rendering of all of this so that you can act clearly see that this thing is tied to your character's arm. You're actually looking through the, you know, the 
first person view of your character in the world. And so there was some vagueness to this. You actually had to read the instruction manual. This is back in a time when video games had an instruction manual that you would get in the box. And oh, by the way, the boxes were large, almost the size of like a cereal box. So you could actually have these large manuals in them. And that was part of the fun is that you would buy the game and then you would get home and while the game was installing off of floppy disks, which were very slow to load into your computer, you could sit there and read through the manual. And in the manual, you would find out that the Pip-Boy was a device that you would wear on your wrist in the game world. And when you opened up the screen, sure, it looked like a flat screen with a, with a, well, with a screen on it and some little doodads, you know. The kinds of stuff that you remember seeing on a Pip-Boy and, and actually like a black screen with green images and on the left side there were these glowing <laughs> tubes, this tube technology and some buttons and it looked all worn down and let's move into this because it's, it's hard to tell from that screen that that thing was tied or was actually strapped to your wrist. but. If you had read the manual and you had actually paid attention to some of the in-game dialogue and that kind of stuff, you would have known that that's, that was the case. And that was what the, what the developers were going for, was this idea that when you switch to that screen, you were still in the mind space of your character. So what was the original Pip-Boy? The first Pip-Boy ever to show up in a Fallout game was the Pip-Boy 2000. And we know that because it says it right on it. On the top left, it says Pip-Boy 2000. And there's a little character right there. And here's the thing. You would expect, looking back on time, that this thing would be colored and branded around the green and the gold. And we'd see a little vault boy there. Because your character in Fallout 1 comes from Vault 13. Vault dwellers get Pip-Boys, right? That's how things work, right? That's what we're familiar with. Well, no, not exactly. The Pip-Boy 2000 has a different character. It's a little orange and yellow character. And he's got his little fist up in the air with what looks kind of like a thumbs up. But he's this little orange and yellow character with a big grin on his face, it's kind of cartoony, big head, kind of pointed ears. This is the Robco character. And it makes sense because Pip-Boys were designed by Robco, not by Vault-Tec. Because they didn't start as an item designed for the vaults. They started as an item as an actual piece of technology designed by Robco for the military. These were devices designed for soldiers in order to monitor their health and have a readout on their arms that could help them when they were out in the field and they needed to check their vitalities, like settings, like I guess they're, you know, things like how much water they had in their bodies, <laughs> things like this. It's kind of a rough eh, explanation for why you would have something like that. Like, we don't really need something like that. Like, 
if you're thirsty, you kind of know. You kind of know that you're thirsty. If you are mm, in need of medical attention, you kind of know. You don't really need a readout on your arm to know these things. But let's just go with it. That was the that's the original description of the Pip Boy, right? And the Pip Boy 2000 was the model that made it out into the world. It's the model that you get in Fallout One. So you might be thinking, okay, Robco, Robco, what, what did they design again? I know there's lots of these different companies, Westech, Robco, Vault-Tec, all these different companies. Robco, what did they do? Okay, let's let's go through some of their other, other creations, other designs, because this is going to put this in perspective for you. So here we go. Robco, we've got Pip-Boys. Okay, Pip-Boys. What about iBots? Oh, yeah, iBots. Okay. What about mm, protectrons? All right, so robots and things. Yeah, robots and things. Assaultrons. Oh, okay. Assaultrons. Yeah, so Mr. Handys. Yep, Mr. Handys too. All sorts of different types of robots. Yes, yes. Uh, mainframe, mainframes. Uh, I'm also meme frames. That should be a. To- that should totally. That sounds like a. That's absolutely a Fallout thing. Devs, we need something called a meme frame. Very violent type of robot type of thing. Um, uh, but mainframes, the GX nine thousand mainframe bootloader core processor system. So lots of different types of systems that do processing, computer technologies, robots, those kinds of things. Totally. Robco's thing. So a device that fits on your wrist that can do some of this processing that still uses this large technology in order to make this stuff work with tubes and glow up tubes. Now, remember, remember the episode where I talked about miniaturization? This was really, really early on in the the show and how that didn't really happen in the Fallout universe. Well, that's true for the Pip-Boy as well. This thing is not powered with like battery technology from our world. It is not miniaturized. It still fits on your wrist. So Robco is trying to push technology forward here with devices that you can carry a tiny little computer that can fit on your wrist. And it doesn't do a ton of processing. This thing has the processing power of like an old calculator. That's why we get these weird kind of sound effects and you know this kind of stuff when you tinker with it um and the green screen that it has and that kind of stuff but ultimately this thing is still nuclear powered and it has to be designed in a way in which it is rugged and will not break easily so the original versions of the Pip-Boy, the, well, the Pip-Boy 1, let's go back a little bit further than the Pip-Boy 2000, because we actually get a glimpse of the Pip-Boy 1 in the intro of Fallout 4. You guys remember this? The black and white intro screen of Fallout 4 with the uh, scientists and engineers tinkering with the Pip-Boy on the guy's arm. It looks huge. It's a big old looking thing. Well, they had some issues with these old original versions of the Pip-Boy. The uh, the Pip-Boy 2000 was still very slow. It was meant to be worn on your wrist, but a lot of it was built in these pieces that were me- metallic and glass, and they were meant to try to protect the components from breaking. And you can even see the two tubes glowing inside the interface. All of that stuff would be very fragile. So by the time 
we get to Fallout 76, we end up with the Pip-Boy 2000 Mark VI. And what's so cool about this from a, let's move back out of the universe perspective, is that the developers in designing this Pip-Boy took a lot of the concepts that like the design aesthetic from the original Fallout 1 and they worked it into Fallout 76. In fact, this is one of those things that I think a lot of people don't pay attention to necessarily is that the Fallout 76 Pip-Boy has a lot more aesthetically in common with the Fallout 1 and Fallout 2 Pip-Boy than it does than from the Pip-Vip, the Pip-Boys that words are hard guys that we see from Fallout 3 and Fallout 4. You can even see the little vacuum tubes inside the Pip-Boy itself. Uh, the buttons, the fonts, the way that the date readout is, all of that stuff is very similar, but it looks like they've made some advances by this Mark VI version that make it more portable, which is really cool. The other big addition to the Mark VI is the ability to play hollow tapes on the Pip-Boy. There's that slot that allows you to slide in and out the holotapes, which is very useful, of course, in Fallout 76, because that's part of how we get missions and, and those kinds of things in the game. Um, and let me pause here for a moment. All of this and a lot of this detail treads the line between in-game universe stuff that makes sense in some ways, but there is a lot of design aesthetic and reasoning behind the Pip-Boy designs and the, the changes over time that is very gameplay driven. And if you're the kind of person who wants to justify the changes in these kinds of in-world decisions for simply being in-world reasons, this gets really tough to do when it comes to Pip-Boys. There are ways of justifying things like why the Brotherhood in the West Coast did this and why the Brotherhood in the East Coast did this and why different people made different decisions that can kind of get around the need for game development reasons, which, let's be honest, a lot of times those are the main reasons and then they justify the story around it. But when it comes to the Pip-Boy designs, most of the time these things are gameplay driven decisions and then they justify them in the world in order to make them fit. But it's fun to play with it anyway. So that's where we're at. The Pip-Boy 2000 Mark VI from Fallout 76 because that's the next one in the timeline. Next coming up is the Pip-Boy 3000 and we see that from Fallout 3 and Fallout New Vegas. But first we have to thank our patrons. So we'll be right back. Alright, so everybody knows how VPN services and ExpressVPN can protect your privacy and security online, right? But did you know that there are some secret hidden benefits to using ExpressVPN, like unlocking movies and shows that are only available in other countries? So, if you're like me, you probably enjoy watching shows on Netflix, for example. Well, with ExpressVPN, you can unlock the UK version of The Office or Parasite from South Korean Netflix. Over a hundred different countries. All you have to do is change your location and refresh Netflix or whatever, Hulu, BBC iPlayer, YouTube, you name it. In fact, when I set it up for myself, I was surprised at how easy it was. It just installs and then loads up and works. 
and it works on more than just PCs, phones, media consoles, smart TVs, and so much more. So if you want to access hundreds of new shows, use my link right now, expressvpn.com slash falloutlore, and you can get an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. That's expressvpn.com slash falloutlore, expressvpn.com slash falloutlore to learn more. Hello there, old chap. Good to see another of General Atomic's finest still eager to serve. So first of all, I apologize for missing last week. Um, thank you guys for your patience and for the kind the kind words that uh, some of you sent in. I'm not going to go into the details here, but I did post something on the Discord and to the patrons about what's going on. And uh, I, I do appreciate the, uh, the kind responses. I, I hate to miss a week, but sometimes things happen. So if you're curious about that. You can always uh, go join us on the on the Discord and uh, check out the post there about it. Uh, but thanks again. Um, but this is the middle of the show where we get to thank our patrons. And man, you guys, uh, it's it's been two weeks, but we've got some new patrons to thank. So thank you to Scared Mentally, Darren S, Jacob M, and Noah D. Welcome to the Patreon. And thank you for um, being here for all of our patrons, all 53 of you guys. There's 53 current patrons. And uh, let's see, I'm pulling up the list. We've got one current tier five sentry bot. I'm the creeper. Thank you for supporting the show and all 53 of you. This is my full time career and every little bit helps. So I genuinely appreciate the support. So thank you to all of you guys next week is the patron chat. Typically, we do this on Tuesday nights at 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific. And if you're in a different time zone there somewhere else, then you know how it works. Math. Um, but uh, uh, we don't have a set topic yet for this week, but I'd love to chat with you guys on the Discord and let me know what you would like to talk about. We've got a bunch of Tier 4 and higher patrons, so I'd love for any uh, any of you who are supporting the show at Tier 4 or higher to join me on Tuesday nights. Let me know if you can join us and what your thoughts are on a p potential topic. And if you currently aren't a Tier 4 or higher patron, you've still got time to sign up. So that's also a possibility. So I'd love to see you guys there. Also, we have some uh, some reviews to read out because it has been a little while. Two new reviews, one from Scared Mentally, who's one of our new patrons. Thanks for taking the time to leave a review as well. From over in Great Britain, Scared wrote, like purified water, five stars. I, I've stumbled onto this podcast from Spotify searching for Fallout lore. I've been listening for two days. This is back on the 7th when this was posted. Um, and I'm already... Uh, in need of a dick toll. <laughs> I put my headphones in and I and have it playing whilst I work. It is such a refreshing pure podcast with deep lore and fun side bits always keeping my attention. I, I wish I found it sooner and can't wait to go through every episode. Thank you. Well, thank you scared mentally. I do appreciate it. And we also have one from Big D WTC podcast who writes a WTC podcast review five stars, man. I'm hooked on this show. I've put countless hours of my life into the fallout franchise. And this show takes me right back to that happy place. Not Tranquility Lane. Yes, I totally understand <laughs> where, where you're going there. I really love the deep dives and hearing more about every aspect of the wasteland. Well, thank you, Big D. I don't know what the D stands for, but I'm going to imagine that it stands for donut because they're delicious. Uh, thank you for taking the time to do that. If you want to help me out, reviews, ratings on Apple Podcasts and also on Spotify, 
are a huge help. So big, big thanks to everyone who takes the time to do that. But you know what? We've got more Pip-Boy stuff to talk about, so let's move on with the rest of the show. If you have any questions about Nuka World, I'd be delighted to answer them. All right, so we've talked about the Pip-Boy 2000, the Pip-Boy 1, the Pip-Boy 3000, Mark 4 is the next one on the list. The Pip-Boy 3000 model is a slight variation on the 2000 model. It's the one that shows up in Fallout 3 and New Vegas and also in the Fallout The Board Game. Little known fact there. Um, This one, it's interesting because the biggest difference between this model and the other models is that the dials and things are on the left side. But if you wear it on your left arm, that means you have to cross over the interface in order to move the dials, which is a little bit odd. But when you think about it, your wrist can bend, so you don't necessarily cover up the screen in order to do so. So it's not the end of the world in the way that you would manage to have to use that. Like, I don't know. It's one of those things that's noted in a lot of these kinds of articles and YouTube videos when people talk about Pip-Boys. They're like, well, this is a dumb design because your your hand would go right over the screen. Well, think about it. Like, take take your hand and put it over your wrist. Now, try to touch, like, further down your arm, but now move your hand in ways that allow your wrist to still be, still be seen. It's totally possible. Um, it's just kind of an odd way to design something like that. Maybe that's designed in a way to keep the screen closer to your hand so that it's more in front of your face instead of further back on your wrist. Mm, I don't know. Just a thought there. Um, there are some other variations. There's the 3000A. There's a, there's different model numbers with different letters after it. And otherwise, this thing is not too different from the 2000 model other than the fact that it's just a little bit more varied and modern. Now... Why a 2000 model and now a 3000 model? Well, the out of game reasoning is that they needed to update it for the new engine and looking different in a newer, more fancy game design. The in world explanation is that, well, different models were out in the wasteland, different vaults got different models, and the ones on the East Coast, at least the ones in the Capital Wastes, had the 3000 model. That's about it. Other than that, not really any real explanation for why certain people got certain ones. Um, also, there isn't too much of a clear explanation for why the Pip Boys ended up at Vault Tech, other than Vault Tech and Robco decided to work together in order to use these. Also, it isn't clear specifically why Vault Dwellers would need technology originally designed for soldiers. We talked about this before. This isn't one of those things, I've done some research on this, it's not one of those things that's particularly clear. Vault dwellers were designed to be inside vaults, not out in dangerous situations. Many of them were being tested on, but you would expect then that many of these Pip-Boys would have programs inside the Pip-Boys specifically set up for a lot of those tests, but that's also not necessarily the case. The only actual software that we have on these Pip-Boys that is specific to anything other than the in-game stuff that we use it for are things like holotapes or video games that you can play on the Pip-Boys, which I'm going to talk about 
probably in a future episode. So let's talk about another variation here. We have, well, we have the Pip-Boy 3000. I did say the Mark IV. That is a specific variation. It's the fourth iteration of the 3000 line. So I kind of jumped the gun on that. Um, this is the variation from uh, where things deviated from Fallout 3 and New Vegas to Fallout 4, where they moved the dials on the other side. That's the biggest difference there. There are some variations in the way that the Pip-Boy can lock on your arm. The variations in the models, like the 3000 model being more of kind of like a gauntlet that fits on your arm rather than just something that can attach to your wrist. Um, the way the latch works, those little kinds of design details are, are slight variances between each of them. Also, the uh, 3000 Mark IV has these fun little animations on them rather than just the kind of static image of the, the Vault Boy. But again, it's mostly just meta reasons for these things rather than in-game reasons for these things more than anything else because new games need more features. I know this is like, it's, it's kind of a bummer thing. I mean, I could pretend that like, oh, there's a real in-game reason for this, but like, I'm going to be honest with you guys. There's not a good reason for an in-game reason. Like somebody's going to write me and be like, well, actually robots, and it's like, okay, yeah, yeah sure. That's your headcanon. That's fine. But the main reason here is new video game, new technology. Let's do new cool stuff so that people get excited about new video game. And I'm, I'm going to stick with that because that is legitimately the reason for this. So I'm going to leave that where it is. Now, there is a very special model of the Pip-Boy that can only be found in Fallout New Vegas called the Pimp-Boy 3000. And this is a handcrafted modification of the 3000A. This thing is solid gold has diamonds in it you can get it from mick uh in freeside so this is at mick and ralph's and it's a reward for persuading the omertas remember the omertas well if you persuade them to return to mick for their weapon needs then he will swap between your regular pit boy and the pimp boy three billion and of course there's a wild wasteland trait that goes along with this, which means that every time you equip this, you can swap this between this and your regular one. So if you get tired of it, you can always put the other one back. But when you do swap to this one with the wild wasteland trait, you get disco music that plays every time it's equipped. Done. It's just a little thing, but it's pretty cool. <laughs> It's just it's one of those little things. I talked about this during the Wild Wastelands thing where like if you weren't really paying attention all the time to which things were Wild Wasteland and which things weren't, you'd you might even wonder like is the Pimp Boy 3 billion a Wild Wasteland in itself? And it's like, nope, it's just the music part. Huh. So, there's that. And then you guys remember Van Buren? I did a whole entire episode about Van Buren, the potential Fallout 3 that never was in Van Buren they designed what was called the Super Pip Boy. And this was a very unique model worn by one character, Victor Presper. Now this comes from the BOMB, B-O-M-B-001 design document part two about Van Buren. And according to this document, it says, uh, equipment, Super Pip Boy monitors health, acts as a motion sensor and has a programming attachment built in that allows him to instantly create and download his own programs. 
which gets me wondering. Okay, so go with me here for just a minute. Van Buren, let's go back a little bit. Van Buren was going to be Fallout 3 as conceived and designed by a lot of the same design team that designed Fallout 1 and Fallout 2. How do you design programs and things that are supposed to work on other Pip-Boys or maybe even other computers? Why not have a Pip-Boy that acts as a master device with which to design those programs on a Super Pip-Boy? That makes sense, right? Also, Super Pip-Boy? That sounds like it's like a Super Nintendo for the Pip-Boys. I don't know if maybe that was an influence at the time. This would have been in like the early 2000s, so hmm, roughly a decade after the Super Nintendo thing was a thing and then other stuff. I don't know. Probably not. But funny name for it. I wonder if this was just kind of a working title before they actually got into development. Who knows? But this potentially could have been a thing. And as we know, with a lot of development in future Fallout games, they do go back to the well for a lot of these concepts and pull from them. This has happened a lot in Fallout 76. And that reminds me, I probably need to dig more into that in some future episodes. That's one of the things that Fallout 76 and the creators of Fallout 76 don't get enough credit for. I mean, people do point this out, but I think that we probably should focus on this a lot more, is how they've done such a good job going back to the well and pulling concepts from the original Fallouts into this most modern version of the game. They've really stuck with a lot of these original design ideas and concepts and brought them forward in ways that I think a lot of people don't realize. So this might be something worth putting on that list of like potential future ideas. Just throwing it out there. Well, guys, that's the Pip-Boy. That's some information we have about it. I'm sure we can dig into some more details in the future, especially in and around some of the programs, like the games that you can play on them. For, but for today, that's this episode. And I'll be back next week with our patrons. It's going to be awesome. I'd love to hear your thoughts on some of the uh, potential topics we could cover. And don't be afraid to reach out. I'd love to hear from you. All right. Until next time, stay safe out there. And if you... Uh, you know, need to monitor your vitals or want to find out if you're thirsty, then, you know, strap a nuclear device to your wrist because that's probably the best way to do it. All right, everybody. I'll see you later. Bye. To plug into everything else we're doing, check out robotsradio.net. Reach out to me on Twitter at robots underscore radio. Check out the Robots Radio Rocket Club, where you can join me and a bunch of our other creators creating your podcast, starting a new podcast, or helping your current podcast grow. There's more information about that on robotsradio.net as well. And you can always talk with us and the entire community, over 2,000 people on the Robots Radio Discord. Come join us. We'd love to chat with you. See you guys next time.